this um, image is kind of just a random beautiful uh, rose tree. But the story behind it, the provenance, the, is what makes it so significant. In 2004, feels like a lifetime ago, but in a sense, it felt like just yesterday, we get that middle of the night call, or it was like 3.30, 4 a.m. The call that you go, there's nothing good that could come from a call at this time of day. And it was the call that we got while we were living in the East Bay, uh, in, in kind of just east of Oakland. We got a call from San Diego, where Laurel grew up, and her father had passed away. Like I said, these calls never come at a good time. Uh, so it was a rude awakening, literally, emotionally. Uh, and we were surprised by it because he wasn't in great health, but he wasn't in near-death health. Uh, but the thing that was hard was that he was providing full-time care for Laurel's mom. So we're like, wow, what do we do? Well, so we began to kind of make arrangements and figure this out. But why I show you this picture is Laura was in a Bible study with women that were meeting every week. And as friends do, friends want to help. And you don't know quite how to help, but one of their gifts to her in showering her in this way was they gave her this rose tree. And what I appreciate about this rose tree is we planted it at our house in Pleasanton. But then 2006 rolled around, uh, and we were now on the move to Austin. But the tree was blossoming and doing well, so we're like, what should we do with the tree? So my parents had been in their starter home since 1968. They had a lot of tenure here. They had been there for almost 40 years, so we're like, let's replant it. And so we dug it up and we put it in their front yard in the San Francisco house and we moved to Austin. The problem is, is in 2012, they sold the family homestead. And my parents, being very conscientious of the significance of this, to commemorate some friends wanting to care for comfort, Laurel in this small group experience said, well, let's take it with us to our new house. They had rebuilt a house in the Santa Cruz Mountains in the Redwood Forest in an area called Mount Hermon. And so this now sits in the back of their, in their backyard. And um, I say that because through all of the moves, through all of the seasons, through all of the droughts, through all of the maybe even lack of care, it has not forgot who it is. Most of the time, it might look something like this. Less than glamorous, less than beautiful. You know that it has potential, and you know that the season will come where it will bloom again, and it'll look beautiful in its full bloom. But most of the time, my mom's trimming it back and pruning it, knowing that there's going to be a day where it comes into full blossom again. I tell you that story because we go through seasons, through seasons of dryness and drought, through seasons of failure and, and disappointment, through failure, uh, and we have a temptation to forget who we are. And even though our lives are less than ideal and our circumstances are not perfect, we cannot forget who we are when we are in Christ. And this rose tree keeps coming back, move after move, season after season, to look like something beautiful. 
So with that, let's go ahead and say, we now bless you as you continue to your ship. And also thank you. Awesome. So I want to talk a little bit today about giving thanks. It's the, it's the season, right? We're in that season where we're reminded of all that we have, but I want to specifically talk about giving thanks by remembering. Have you ever said to a kid, don't forget to say thank you? I don't mean to speak down to you. I need this reminder all the time because there are things in my life that push at my heart and my attention and I forget to express gratitude. But the way we start to say thanks is by remembering. And I want to go through something over the next 20 minutes or so, and you might want to take some notes because here's what I want to do. I want to take some very dense theological concepts and make them as life-giving and as practical as, as I'm able. Because there's some things when we come to worship um, that I think we often miss about what's supposed to happen in this liturgy environment. And there's two really significant words that if you come out of, say, a more of a liturgical tradition, you understand what these words might mean, even if you've never heard these words before. And the two words that you'll see on your outline is that the two words are amnesis, or excuse me, anamnesis and epiclesis. Anamnesis and epiclesis. I know that no one was asking these burning questions about theological truths, but they have so much to do with how we experience God. And just so you know where this is headed today, it is at the communion table. So I want to use this extended time to prepare our hearts for examination, but also in remembering because there's too much going on and we're too prone to being forgetful. So there is this call to remember. Some of you might have grown up in churches where there was a table at the front and it was engraved, do this in remembrance of me. We know those words really well. Those were the words of Jesus spoken at the Last Supper. And, and so we're, we're, we have this vivid image of this idea of a call to remember or doing this in remembrance of me. But throughout all of history and particularly with God's people, and we see this throughout scripture, is that the people of God were always being challenged to remember because they were busy too, because they were discouraged too, because they were feeling defeated too, because they were distracted too. So there is this profound spiritual need for us to be able to remember. What is it we're supposed to remember? If we are part of God's children, if you consider yourself a Christ follower, if you have sometime pledged your allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, the most important thing we can remember is who we are in light of who God is. Sometimes I, I, I don't have a hard time remembering who I am. Impatient, lustful, like jealous, uh, you know, prone to whatever. And yet... I need to start to recall and remember my life in light of who God is. That's the command. You never thought about remembering as a command, right? 
And for those of you like, hey, excuse me, I'm ADD, I'm allowed because, you know, no, 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 I'm saying, this is a command, this isn't an option. We're called to remember. And throughout all of scripture, we have these kind of, for the people of God, God was always trying to tell them, remember once, and there's like several instances, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Well, that's not something that I really want to remember right? You're like, good thing I'm not a slave in Egypt anymore. And you're like, but I was never a slave. But he's talking about who is it that delivered you? Remember that now you're in this prosperous state. Remember your humble beginnings. Remember when you were illiterate? You probably can't, but there was a time you were. Remember that when you were totally dependent? Remember these times. And then he goes, remember the Sabbath. Stop acting like you're the only one that can get things done. If you don't rest, if you don't retreat, part of a Sabbath is tithing our time to say that God is still ultimately the source of our lives. Remember the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt in convincing Pharaoh to let this huge multitude of their entire workforce leave. Remember how the Lord led you all the way through the wilderness for 40 years. What was that about? Well, he gave them like a cloud by day, which was not just a neat party trick. It actually provided shade in the desert. I'll take shade in the desert. A pillar of fire by night, which in the desert, a little warmth is going to feel nice. And God guided them for 40 years. Don't forget because for me, it's really easy to forget what God did yesterday because I'm sitting here going, what have you done for me lately? This is what we're prone to, and he keeps commanding us to remember the faithfulness of God. Remember who I am in light of who God is. Remember who we are in light of who God is. And he says, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives the ability to produce wealth. Come on now. That's significant. You're like, no, 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 you don't understand. I've worked hard. No, I have this education. No, I've made these, no, no, don't forget. It's God who produces the ability for you to earn wealth. And so here's my point though. In other words, remember who you are in light of who God is. Um, Remember your strengths, remember your resources, remember your influence, remember your health, all a gift. And here's the thing, if we can't remember who we are in Christ, what we end up is we remember that we're just not good enough. If we can't remember who we are in Christ, it feels like all I remember is what's missing in my life or what's not right in my life or what seems to be coming up short. And so as Christians, it's super important to identify with my life in light of who Christ's life is because I want my life to die so that his can live. That's, that's really what we're talking about. So what the call to remember is a call to know our identity. Who we are, not simply what we do. Now, the word anamnesis is a curious word. It literally translates in the Greek to remember. Uh, and so Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And so when it comes to communion, tell me if this is you, but I typically conjure up images of Christ's suffering. I've seen Passion of the Christ, thanks Mel Gibson. I've seen these gory images. I've seen the Jesus film and, and the torture and the execution of Jesus and his betrayal and, and isolation and just going through this mockery and carrying this... I create all of these images of, in my mind um, about his pain and suffering. 
Um, and so the Greek word for remembrance is anamnesis, but it's also where we get the word amnesia. Let me just break this down. Amnesia is, is, is not just forgetting things like, oh my gosh, where did I put my glasses or where did I put my keys? No, no. Amnesia is forgetting who you are. Anamnesis is not forgetting who you are. So our lives are being found in light of who Christ is. And so this is really significant when we come to the table. So Jesus is saying, take communion without forgetting who you are. And when you take this bread, remember that you've already taken me into your life. When you take this cup, you've, you've simply taken me into your life. And it's part of you. And so remember your identity because it's caught up into mine. Uh, and, and your life is not your own anymore. You're not defined by your performance. You're defined by mine. We live in a world where it's performance-based. We live in a world where we're as good as our adequacies. We're as good as our successes. And so if we fail to hear the applause of people, it's sometimes hard to feel validated. If someone has a bigger house, somehow we feel less. If someone gets a better score, we feel less than. And so what he's doing is, no, 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 remember who you are in light of who I am. Remember what I've done more than what you've accomplished. And so too often, I believe, we live our lives with a kind of spiritual amnesia. We simply go on to work tomorrow and we're conducting our lives not in light of who Christ is or what Christ has done, but it is this sort of achievement and building our worth around that. I have a friend that I was recently meeting with and he was telling me in kind of a, a, a proud moment, but I, I was sort of envious, but he says, you know, I talk to a lot of people and they have they talk about how they need help to sleep, that they have sleepless nights, they carry so much anxiety and stress. And he's like, man, I could put my head down right on this table and fall asleep. And I'm like, God bless you, brother, because I'm not one of those people. I'm, I, my mind's running and it's hard for me to shut it down and I wake up. Um, but what he was saying, and I appreciate it, he says, I know that what I'm really selling is just widgets. I'm not selling like eternity. I'm just doing this thing that just helps businesses be a little bit more known, but it's not life or death. And so I sleep well at night and I don't carry my stress home, except that this same friend is constantly on the road and he has 30 sales staff beneath him. He's in enterprise sales. So what do you do when you're in enterprise sales? You dig into a sick, thick, deep corporate spending account and you buy drinks for people and you live out of hotel rooms. And I was like, wait a second, you have to understand, this is more than just selling widgets. You've actually been entrusted with 30 sales staff and someone needs to shepherd them. Because if all they do is do the job to its highest level, how how vulnerable are they to alcoholism? Because they're drinking for a living. It's a part of their job. They're living out of hotel rooms. How are they doing in the vitality of their marriage? I was like, this is a sacred trust. And I don't know if anyone's called you this lately, but you're a minister. See, I think we live with spiritual amnesia. We forget who we are in light of who Christ is. And he's like, no, 
Just because you're not called pastor doesn't mean you're not a minister. And if you said yes to Jesus, welcome to making the kingdom of God on earth known. What's your day job? Stay-at-home mom? Student? Really? Real estate? Computers? Like, you get to broker the kingdom of heaven, and we can't be cursed with this spiritual amnesia, forgetting who we are in light of who Christ is. I think that's really significant for us. And so, uh, in this place, Jesus is saying, when he holds up the cup, and he takes the bread, and he breaks it, and he says, take me, receive me, Receive all that I am and take my life. I will give you life. You get what I own and I own eternal life. And oh, by the way, eternity has already begun. No one else owns eternity. I do. No one else conquers death on earth. I did. When you take the bread, when you drink the cup, you're taking me into your life. So if you take that and receive that, don't forget now who you are in light of who I am. And so as now, and this is where it gets significant, as you receive your new identity, you now begin to receive your future. As you receive your future, you now receive your purpose because identity and purpose always go hand in hand. If you're not sure what to do, I would simply point you back to who are you? Are you called simply to take the best paying job? Are you called simply to upward mobility? I would say no. It's very rare that I have ever someone say, hey, I've got a chance to relocate cities. And the last thing they'll think about is their faith community. Oh, I'll find a church when I get there. No one comes to a pastor and goes, well, I'm thinking about this move. I just don't want to move without being rooted in a group of believers. But that seems kind of crazy because you're like, I've got this great opportunity. I've got stock options. I've got all this stuff. I'm like, well, we need to consider the whole package here if we're going to make wise decisions. When we know who we are, we can figure out where to go. And when we know where to go, we, we have a sense of our purpose. That's, that's how this thing, I think, begins to unfold. Jesus said these words in John 14, 12. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done. I always get stuck by that because I want to do the same things that Christ has done. And even greater works than that. In other words, anyone who has faith in me, in other words, anyone who identifies with me will do what I have been doing. He'll do even greater things. If you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Identity determines how one acts in light of how one sees their purpose. And if Jesus is our identity, we'll want to do things like him. Our purpose will be desired to be like his. So the second word that I just want to share in closing. So when we talk about this idea of anamnesis, it's literally this call to remember and it's not just remember my failings, because that's typically, oh, I remember my shortcomings. I remember how not like Christ I am. No, no, we're remembering who Christ is in light of, uh, who I am in light of who Christ is. But the second word is this word epiclesis. So when we have this service, what we're really saying is to come. Come Holy Spirit on us. 
Come Holy Spirit on these elements. Be the literal body and the blood of Christ. And as I ingest these into my bodies, what I'm doing is I'm receiving all of you. So cleanse me. Make me painfully aware of where the gaps might be or where the intimacy might be compromised. Come Holy Spirit. I can't think of two better challenges for you to go into your week is that to remember and to invite the Holy Spirit to come. I'm anxious about this meeting and you just pray this weird epiclesis, this come Holy Spirit upon me. Give me the words. Give me the calm. Give me the kind of poise because of your spirit. May it be a testimony of who you are. See, Jesus gave us communion. You know, the the metaphor of a meal is a perfect one because we don't like to skip meals, right? We kind of build our day around the meals. That's, That's super important to us. And so he was trying to build like this metaphor for his presence around meals. And we're good at maintaining an eating schedule. Just like that, he's like, keep this sort of remembrance of my presence in mind. Uh, And so when we celebrate communion, we celebrate, but Jesus knows how we operate. He knows that we're forgetful. And he knows uh, how easy it is for our identity to get shaken. I didn't get my way, right? Things didn't work out. People disappointed me. Uh, Circumstances are really intense or really hard. We battle disillusionment, doubt, fear, feeling disqualified. Jesus knows all of this. He knows the fragile nature of our identity, and yet he invites us back simply to remember and then to invite him to come. And so he knows that this death, his death and resurrection, which is what we're reenacting with the communion elements, his his death and coming back uh, at the supper is what solidifies this covenant of identity for all time. And as we prepare ourselves for communion, and B, I'm going to ask you to join me. As we prepare ourselves for communion, I want us to consider, remember, you know, he's saying do this in remembrance of me, but remembering who you are in light of whose you are. It's too easy for us to get stuck on how we performed in the last quarter. It's too easy for us to get stuck on Uh, how we feel we're not doing in our marriage today or how our kids are performing and might that be a reflection. Listen, there is so much to rob us of confidence and joy. There's so much to to rob us of our identity and our self-worth. And yet he invites us back, knowing our fragile nature, to say, remember who you are in light of who I am. I got this. So let's just prepare our hearts for communion now. And as we do, I would just take a time of examination. Simply pray, God, see if there is any unclean or offensive way in me. See if there's any unreconciled relationships where where there's a face that just feels like it's, like there needs to be an apology and there needs to be forgiveness. And he says, do this in remembrance of me.